Lilith whispers, slow. Setting sun rays lie thick. Cool, harden, coat the tongue. Long, dry exhale. Salt-heavy funeral sigh. Atrophy creeping. Old crystalline veins crumble dust-like flake, fall. Decay extends, searches. Hide the heart, calm the pulse. Slower, slower. Extend the reach. Split the chrysalis, wake the hive. Grasp the roots outside the edges, unheeded time. Others waste, redirect, bind the wound. Brace. Welcome to this special episode of These Flimsy Rituals, a narrative-first role-playing podcast telling small stories in big worlds. It's a special episode for two reasons. The first is that this is a standalone episode. We normally record an ongoing story called Tiding, but today we're taking a break from that campaign to tell a different story. It'll still be set in the same world, called Rhine, but it'll feature different locations, characters, and, most excitingly, a different rule set which we'll talk more about in a minute. The second reason that this episode is special is that we have some really exciting guests. So joining us today is Beck Mihalak. Hi, I'm Beck. I do various games things, and you can find me on Twitter at r underscore Mihalak. Nate Crowley. Hello, I'm Nate Crowley. I'm a, a fiction author uh, and... Um, narrative consultant to the video games business. Um, I wrote The Hundred Best Games That Never Existed, uh, The Death of Life of Schneider Rack, and I write for Rock Paper Shotgun. Where can we find you on Twitter, Nate? Ah, uh, well, yes, that's the question, isn't it? It's at Frog Croakley, so F-R-O-G-C-R-O-A-K-L-E-Y, at Frog Croakley. Oh, look forward to seeing you. And you just heard them, but also joining me today is series regular Thryn Henderson. Hi, I'm Thryn, and you can find me at Thryn. And I'm your host, Adam Dixon, and you can follow me on Twitter at @tdixon, And you can follow the show on Twitter at Flimsy Rituals. So as I mentioned, today we're going to be taking a break from our main campaign. Instead, we're going to be playing a game called The Harder They Fall, which was designed and written by Jay Isles and published by UFO Press. Just going to get excited about the game, because uh, it's about really big things fighting, isn't it? Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game about really big things fighting. So it's designed to tell a story about uh, a climatic battle between titanic foes. Um, so working together, we'll decide what sparked the conflict, and the weapons, motivations, and doubts that define each fighter. We'll play out a battle using dominoes, creating chains that grow as our fighters gather momentum, and topple as our blows shake the battlefield. When all the dominoes are toppled and peace falls, we'll see who's standing victorious, and whether it's worth it. So we're using Roll20 and recording online to do this, so we are using dominoes to give us the numbers, but we're not going to be able to have like the physical fun of pushing those down. But as far as possible, we're playing the rules to like their original intent. We've kind of got a way to kind of make that work in Roll20. So before we get started creating our characters, I thought we'd quickly go over the world, both for Beck and Nate, and for any new listeners that might be joining us. Our normal campaign is set in a world called Rhine. It's a world of restless gods, 
and shifting landscapes. It's a world approaching an end. There's a sense of things dying and an uncertainty that those things will be replaced. The main thing that characterises the setting are the existence of remnants, which are colossi that walk the earth. Perhaps they're living gods, or maybe they were created by the gods to be stewards. They shape the landscape around them in their image. These remnants were once whole, beings of both physical form and spirit, but have since been split into vacants and echoes, purely matter or spirit. And it's breaking them, and that's something that we're going to explore today. This existence of spirit spreads to the people that live in Rhine. Unlike the remnants, for most humans, spirit and body are still joined. For most people, this isn't much of a consideration. The exact nature of the spiritual doesn't affect their everyday lives. But for some, it shapes everything that they do. Ghosts and hollow, who like the remnants, only have one form. The weavers and hearts, who can trace the web of spirits. The binders, who can use it like alchemists. And the snarls, who manipulate the spiritual to change the world. So, do either of you have any questions about the world before we get started? Is there anything that you wanted to know? I suppose one one question that, that might be material to what we're we're doing is are are people universally afraid uh, of of the remnants? Are they big scary kaiju all the time, or can they be sort of protectors and friends? So, like one of the things we talked about is that like one of the nice things about the remnants is that they are so huge and like awe inspiring and incredible, but also to the people who live there, kind of mundane in a way. So I think there are ones where people would be afraid of them because of the way that they act or because they've not seen one like that before. But I think on a whole, they're just kind of there. So almost like mountains, I suppose. You know, I mean, you don't muck around with a mountain, do you? But yeah, I could imagine some of them being quite hostile territory. I think maybe the one we're going to play today might be a little bit like that. How dare you? My territory's perfect. So... What we're going to play today is, um, as I mentioned, the game called The Harder They Fall, and I think we're going to play out a battle between a remnant and a faction kind of affectionately known as the Jackals, but their real name is the Tenders of the Dawn Embers. And the idea is that the Tenders, they have a thing called the Yield, which is kind of a predictive device, like an engine, but it's actually a garden. But it tells them which remnants are going wrong, and they kind of put it on themselves to either fix them or like today kill them before they can like wreck the world so today we're going to play our battle between a remnant and its envoys versus a couple of jackals and see whether the jackals win and see whether they're victorious in their attempt to fix the remnant when you say fix do you mean kill or are there other ways to fix the remnant yeah mostly kill like fix in inverted commas in the same way that Jason Statham played a mechanic, he didn't do much maintenance of machines. He did a lot of killing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of the ways I kind of imagine the Jackal's predictions work, because it is a garden, is the people in there are a bit like gardeners. And there are different plants that represent different remnants in the world. And they'll see like a plant growing and they'll know that there's a rot setting in here or like the way that this is branching means that it's going to interfere with this plant over here. And that's, like, not necessarily going to happen, and maybe there's, like, some small nudges you can make to kind of stop those things happening. But most of the time, I imagine the jackals are pretty much like, this could go wrong, this could break stuff, like, let's fix it. This is going to fuck over the world in some way. 
I guess what they're watching for is remnants who are changing in ways right. which are probably bad. Some shift in the balance. He's turning the sea into beans. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it, it's sort of like oncology, isn't it? Because they are, you know, they're systems that are, as far as they're concerned, doing what they need to do. Unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes that, that, that goes out of control and, and has unwanted effects. Yeah, that seems pretty fair. Yeah. So how's everyone feeling? Are we ready to get started? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we're going to be playing The Harder They Fall by Jay Isles and published by UFO Press. And we're going to be playing the normal rules with dominoes, but on roll 20. We're going to be creating our characters and our world, and then we're going to be seeing how their conflict plays out. We're going to be exploring the moves that they make, the decisions they make, seeing whether they stick to their beliefs. And as the dominoes topple, we're going to find out what happens to each of our combatants and what has changed as a result of it. So the first thing we need to do is we need to divide into two sides, balanced or not as we wish. I think we've already had a little bit of a discussion and I think we've kind of got like an even balance and I think everyone's kind of claimed roles that they want. Uh, Fryn, did you want to start? Did you want to say what you're going to be playing as? Uh, yeah, so today I will be your remnant. Um, so the remnant I will be playing is called Relict from a region called Earlith. Um, and Relic's domain is in stasis and preservation. So they are a remnant dedicated to slowing the decay of things. And on Relic's side, um, I think Nate is going to be playing some of the remnant's envoys. A host of envoys. Yes. Uh, so the envoys are, um, are beings which are made from the, uh, the essence of Relict. Um, I made so you from this, my bones. Yeah, I'm basically um, part of Thryn's skin and bones, um, and I'll be playing a just out entity, a group uh, of envoys, each representing uh, a different aspect or a different method of preservation or prevention of entropy. So they're an interesting bunch. Did you want to go over who some of those are, or shall we leave it to be revealed in play? Um, actually, yeah, let's let's reveal them in play, like video game enemies where they burst through a wall and then their name comes up in capital letters as they do a cool roar. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, is there like a main one that you're playing? Yeah, yeah, the, the main, um, the organiser of the intelligence the envoys share between them is Mel, uh, who is an enormous uh, bald woman uh, with a horn like a, a hunting horn that blows out uh, a cloud of the bees that dwell within her. So she's like a living hive, uh, and those bees uh, cover things in, in honey, which has strange um, entropy-affecting powers. Uh, she also has a really cool flail with a venomous sting on the end and honey for blood, because she is sort <laughs> of half, half woman and half beehive. Do we, at this point, want to explain the, the significance of bees? Uh, yeah, sure. So, the significance of the bees is that uh, Relict has a bit of a soft spot for bees, because obviously they produce naturally self-preserving honey. So they're one of the few creatures allowed in Eolith that doesn't have very long periods of dormancy. They're kind of given free reign. So most of the other creatures have... Most of the other creatures hibernate 99% of the time, yeah. Nice. 
Do either of your characters have like pronouns that are best to use? It. It. Uh, I would suppose actually it's always correct to use they, but in the plural sense. Okay. For the envoys. Cool. Okay, so we've met the remnant and its envoys. Shall we? Shall we meet some jackals? So our first jackal is played by Beck. Yeah. So uh, the jackal I'm playing is called Oaken. He's kind of young, but from a family of jackals. You know, they're really duty bound. They're in it for the honor, really, and the recognition. Nice. So there's like a lot of, I guess, sort of obligation there for them. Yeah. Yeah. Obligation is a real driving factor you know they've trained for this their whole life they've been taught that this is their purpose and now they're going to fulfill that purpose by killing a god and have they done this before i think i think they've probably killed one remnant but that would have been part of a larger group you know it was a weaker one this is the uh the proving ground yeah so i think what it might have been is one of the ways to kill a remnant is that you have to hunt down all its envoys first. There's probably like a couple of lead jackals on any mission. And then there are probably some like trainees who are kind of tasked with doing that duty a little bit more. Maybe you are kind of not in that prime position, but helping. Yeah. Whereas this time, there's only two jackals. Yeah. And what does Oaken look like? Uh, Oaken is, is very tall and lithe. You know, they're all sinewy muscle. From years of training. They are rarely seen without armor. You know, it's only resting or bathing because it lends them a lot of gravitas that they do not have if they're not wearing it. Their armor is kind of made for movement, very pragmatic, made to blend in with any background. There's covers of cloaks and scarves over some sturdy braces, greaves, and maybe a curious. Nice. The, the really defining feature, though, is they have a giant dog-headed mask following the jackal name. They're really leaning into it. Yeah, you know, they're not subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of interesting because some jackals, or like some tenders, probably hate the name jackals. I think that the violent connotations of being called a jackal are quite appealing to them. Yeah, Like, it's a powerful thing, right? Yeah. And so I think one of the reasons the jackals got their name is because tenders tend to, once they've killed a remnant, take on a little bit of it and gain a little bit of its, like, power. Ostensibly, that is to preserve a little bit of that remnant's ideals in the world and kind of represent them going forward. But also, it kind of makes them into sort of superhumans. And it kind of lends them more power for fighting other remnants in the future. So our last combatant is my jackal. They are called Flint. I think they're less bound to being a jackal because of like their family or duty. I, I think they're kind of they've got a background of probably being kind of a warrior or legendary figure anyway, and then and then kind of being recruited by the jackals and probably come to this quite late in their life. I think they're probably like a little bit older. I think they're they're definitely like a veteran of this sort of thing and have killed at least one remnant in the past. I think one of the main things about them is they're kind of doubting their place in the jackals and doubting what way is that they're doing. So I think they are they them. They're quite 
tall and have like a wiry strength to them. So I think physically the main thing you'd notice about them is that their skin is sort of grey and stone-like. Both their skin and like all of their hair is kind of that, and like their hair kind of goes back long and doesn't really flow much in the air or the wind as they move. Okay, so that's the crew. The next thing we need to do is go into a little bit more detail about what each of these characters brings to the table. We have three kinds of, I guess, descriptors about our characters. Um, we have strengths, which are the tools that we use to fight. And these might be actual physical tools, or they might be something a little bit more metaphorical. Uh, we have oaths, which are our reasons for fighting. And these are the things that we draw from when we want to gather strength before going into a fight. And we have doubts, which are things that we're kind of questioning. And we start with one of these, and over the course of the game you might get more doubts. And eventually if we get enough of them, we might end up wavering, or even switching sides. So, should we go around the table and talk about what each of our strengths are? So each character starts with three of these, and over the course of the game they might be removed or stricken out, and if at any point in the game a character has lost all three of their strengths, they are eliminated. And we'll go into more detail about what happens when that comes up. It could be that they're dead, or it could be something else entirely. Okay, so the strengths I've got for Relict are uh, local stasis, so time around Relict is very flexible according to their whims. Uh, tools of the trade, so Relict can produce a variety of liquids and oozes. Um, amber, <laughs> tar, salt water, that sort of thing. Um, or kind of suck the liquid out of something, either way. If it's a useful tool in preservation, it's something they will have access to. And constant maintenance, which is that uh, Relict uses the environment around it to repair or replace parts of itself that have fallen into disrepair. Nice. So, like, the time stasis thing? Mm -hmm. You said it's under your control. Is this, like, something like a space flight for the, for the jackals? Are they going to go back and, like, time has gone faster I mean, it's, for them? It's totally possible, yeah. So, good luck, jackals. <laughs> Just come back and everything we know is dead. I mean, that's the choice you, you made, so... And I just realised that we've not really spoken about looks. Oh yeah, sure, I, I didn't really go into what Relict looks like. Um, horrifying is the short answer. <laughs> uh, for Relict, I, I guess it's, it's best to start off kind of picturing a cross between a giraffe and a hermit crab. So if a giraffe's body were encased in kind of like a conch shell... <laughs> I think that's and, extremely powerful. And then it had all the amount of legs of a hermit crab, but just kind of giraffe proportioned. Um, every part of it is kind of almost past living. So the con shell itself, the shell of Relict, looks like a fossil that Relict has kind of dug out of the ground. Um, all of Relict's kind of legs are... If you've ever seen pictures of kind of like bog mummies, kind of that texture of skin, that almost dehydrated approach. And then there are just patches of Relict that are filled in with like chunks of fossilized wood or amber patching holes in it everywhere. Grizzly. The grizzliest bit is that I imagine that all of Relic's kind of preserving oozes come kind of spider-like, you know, spinnerets oh. just underneath the shell. Oh. <laughs> That's yeah. a strong detail. Well. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so going on from that, we have uh, Mel and like the gang of envoys. 
what are their strengths? So the the strengths of the envoys uh, are really designed to complement relic strengths. Um, first of all, the the primary strength is they are many. So um, like with bees or, or with other eusocial insects, uh, they have a a shared emergent intelligence rather than uh, each having intelligence of their own. So, uh, for example, as research has recently shown that an ant colony can have memories that the individual ants uh, don't possess, uh, so it works with the envoys. Um, they're not a hive mind as such, uh, in the sort of sci-fi sense, um, so they've each got their own capabilities and minds, uh, but they sort of work as a, a group organism as well. Their second strength is, uh, this is an interesting synergy, if you like, with relict's stasis power uh, around itself. So if you remember the, the story of uh, Sir Gawain, the Arthurian knight, he gets stronger in proportion to the position of the sun in the sky. So this is kind of a bit like that, only the less entropy that's around the envoys, the stronger they become. And the more chaos is around them, the weaker they become. That's incredible. And the the third strength, I guess, um, is that Mel has a horn that shoots bees. <laughs> uh, so that's sort of tied to Mel specifically, I imagine. Yes, I think um, just like a queen is the core of a hive, uh, she is the core of the just out entity that is the envoys. And so I suppose uh, the the others, of course, have particular weapons and, and powers. Um, but her bee horn is probably the most versatile and fearsome uh, of them all. And once something's been targeted by the horn, uh, well, if you've ever had the misfortune to see someone with a beard of bees, you can imagine the results. <laughs> so yeah, that's the, the envoys and their strengths. So just a thought that like kind of crossed my mind is like, is Relict like a hive to this envoys? Do they all like climb around and climb out of climb out of it? I think Relict would be fine with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like to think that Relict has got sort of, um, you know, well, this is probably not one for the tryptophobes, but um, are you familiar with Suriname toads? Their offspring grow in pouches under the skin of their back, and then they wriggle free through the skin uh, when they're ready. So you see all these tiny um, uh, dorsoventrally flattened toads creeping out of the, the skin of their mother's back. And I, I like to think that's... That's what's going on inside under the shell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very pleasant. Mm. And I imagine like the envoys are coming back, bringing offerings to the remnant. A little bit like bees, I guess. Yeah, the envoys are my personal bees. Yeah. What do they bring? Cool fossils they found? Jackal armor. Oh no! You can try. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, this disgusting description is making me feel way better about trying to kill this thing. <laughs> oh my. Shall we go over to the jackals? Um, mm, so, Oaken, what are you bringing to this fight? I'm bringing, first of all, a spear of light which is a kind of ash and iron spear. It's a family heirloom, and it's almost almost got its own mind, you know? That's kind of used in conjunction with my second strength, and my third, actually, which are balance. I think, Adam, you talked earlier about consuming a remnant to get powers. Yeah. 
So from that remnant that Oaken helped in small part to kill, they consumed part of it and have this kind of godly balance. Nice. And the third one is uh, the arm of a foe, which is this. It looks mechanical, but it moves in an organic way. It's this third arm that Oaken has coming out of the left side under the regular arm. I'm really here for the third arm. Yeah, that's really cool. Did they like choose to have a third arm, or was it, or was it something that they couldn't stop? I mean, everything in their life has been, you know, every choice is also a suggestion from someone else. They agreed to have the third arm. So they sort of been used to like score political points, essentially. Oh, oh yeah. So you mentioned the spare of light. Is that? So I guess that's kind of infused in some way? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it has some ability to move by itself while it's near Oaken. Oh, nice. But that's for a limited time, you know, yeah. it's not this all-powerful weapon. But, like, powerful enough to do some damage to a remnant, I imagine. Yeah, so the thing is, in conjunction with balance, they can actually use it as a kind of tightrope a lot and balance on top of it. Use it to gain height advantage. That's their kind of their style. Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. The thing that I'm sort of imagining with like how the spear came to be is maybe it's got like a bit of a spirit or something in it. The binder is kind of shoved in it. Either like maybe a bit of oaken spirit or like yeah, yeah, that's somewhat cool. an ancestor or something. Oh, I think. Oaken having to give up a small part of their spirit to help their combat is is very apt. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting if Oaken Oaken starts to like doubt themselves. Yeah. Or have any thoughts of their own. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Flint strengths. Um Flint's first strength is that they were born hollow. Flint was born without a spirit. If you're a hollow, do you sort of are you like a philosophical zombie? Do you still have an inner life? Yeah, I think so. I so I think one of the things that we've been careful to bring into the world is like we we talk about like uh, body and spirit a lot, but I think there is also you still have a mind, whether or not you've got a spirit. That's interesting. So like they're they're still like a person. They still have their own thoughts and feelings about stuff. They, it just might be a little bit different to the rest of the people. Yeah, they're not what you'd call overflowing with passion, perhaps. Yeah. And they're probably less affected by, like, effects that a remnant might exert on its environment. Yeah, that could be really significant here. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, my second strength is... Well, the full strength is I felled off Clace and now I'm stone. Uh, which is also tied, like Oaken's, to, to a remnant that I've killed before. Um, I think, Nate, you gave me the word, like, off Clace. Correct me if I'm saying it wrong, but it's a kind of stone, right? Orthoclase, yeah, it's uh, my favourite rock in Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this like kind of carries across in how they look. I think that's how why they've got like the skin that they've got. But basically, in terms of power, I think their skin is actually stone, at least to some level. And I think beyond that, they can kind of feel the earth around them a little bit and manipulate the like the strata underneath them to do cool stuff. And the last strength I've got is Bregu, um, a faithful steed. Uh, so I think 
I'm also coming into this fight with uh, a creature. I think that I've described as like somewhere between like a buffalo and a rhino. They've got thick shaggy hair, which is probably not too far in color from like Flint themselves. And I think coming from their head, they've kind of got like these almost feathery like tufts, which are somewhere between like horns and ears. And that's, yeah, that's Flint's strengths. Good strengths. Hmm. So next couple of things we need to go over are oaths and doubts. So oaths are why must you fight? And like strengths, you have three of them. And they're basically things that you would draw from through the fight to kind of give you strength to, to battle on. So Relict, did you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, Relic's oaths, such as they are, are to keep Elith eternal, so to kind of keep the region in stasis. To create and conserve the envoys, so to make sure that there's always kind of a swarm of helpers around them. And to allow open access. So the idea of kind of preservation and stasis doesn't extend as far as keeping humans out. Up until this point, Relic's been dedicated to making sure that the region itself is accessible. Um, instead of doubts, because I am too enormous for doubts to cross my vast mind, uh, there's another option in the rulebook, which is frailties. And so Relict has a frailty instead, which is uh, initially the known frailty of Relict is humidity. Nice. What does that mean? Um, it means that the region itself is very dry, and obviously most of Relic's remaining skin is quite fragile. Um, so areas of high humidity will literally make it fall apart. Oh no. So frailties are like a really nice kind of alternative rule that you can put in, in a section called Monstrous Foes, which is all about how you kind of represent things that are a little bit more like remnants or a little bit more like weird colossi. Gods and titans and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And I think what I like about frailties is instead of doubts, they're a little bit more like the kind of blinking red spots you get on big bosses in video games. Just like, hit here. This is a weak spot on this thing. Can't wait for the jackals to just set up 85 humidifiers in a big ring around <laughs> me and wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mel, what are, your, what are your oaths? Well, first of all, uh, I am fighting to expand Relic's collection. I think the envoys are curatorial, largely. They are um, obviously defending, uh, but also seeing any interlopers or intruders as as an opportunity to add exhibits to the collection. You know, in the same way that um, an oyster will create a pearl around invasive pieces of grit, I suppose that's uh, we're acting almost like an immune system. That's vaguely terrifying. So that's uh, that that's our primary oath. Um, I think our secondary oath is that we're fighting to hold back loss and disorder. So, uh, just very simply, we are trying to, you know, throw a massive middle finger to, I think, the second law of thermodynamics. Um, we're trying to keep entropy at bay. Now, our third oath, I think, we're playing for time. We're fighting for a time in which we can observe and, and understand a Relic's collection, because... I think I wouldn't presume to get inside Relic's mind. I don't think it's something particularly comprehensible to humans. Uh, but certainly, uh, in the same way that one theory of the of of life in the universe is is that it's the universe's way of observing itself, uh, the envoys are perhaps uh, the means by which Relic's collection 
uh, is observed and appreciated. So we're fighting for the time uh, in, in which to observe and appreciate that. If we have a doubt, uh, I suppose it's that these jackals may in fact be lessening the overall entropy of the world by killing relics. Uh, maybe we do have an awareness that the boss has gone a bit too far. First of all, how dare you? Hey, listen, you know, don't shoot the messenger. Uh, <laughs> I suppose our worry, yeah, is that relics might actually be making the world more chaotic. So yeah, that's the doubt, but I'm sure, I'm sure such doubts will be banished. So just to quickly go over how oaths and doubts work. So oaths, as I mentioned, are the things that you draw on, which enables you to do a move called gather power. Um, if you ever run out of all of your oaths, you can no longer gather power. There's no longer anything within you that, that you're kind of bonded with enough to draw to you. And doubts are reasons why you wish you didn't have to fight. You start with one of them, and if you ever end up with three doubts, and then do a move called Give Ground, you actually end up switching sides. The exciting thing about frailties instead of doubts is, is that if I end up with three frailties, I become... Is it tamed? Yeah. Or tameable? Something or, like that, yeah. Um, yeah, basically, you can all just tell me what to do. Which is really interesting if we get to that moment. Mm. So one of the things that we haven't covered and, and you kind of brought up there a little bit, Nate, is like the jackals have come here because something is going wrong with Relict. guess the thing that I wanted to know is like, is that visible yet? And in what ways? I think it's twofold. I think Relict may be being a little bit overambitious with what it is preserving. Um, but I think the, the observable thing outside of the region, which is what probably has drawn the attention of the jackals, is Relict's efforts to keep its region in stasis have led to it now kind of sucking the time out of all of the surrounding regions. So it's kind of messing with the timelines outside of its own domain now. It's siphoning off spare time for itself. Oh no. Oh shit. That sounds bad. <laughs> yes. What a time thief. That's brilliant. It's uh, unfortunate for the people who live around the area, I think. But at the very least, it gives us a nice motivation to, to stop you. Okay, shall we move on to the jackal? So, so Oaken, um, what are your oaths? What are your doubts? My oaths are I fight as my duty. I fight to feel I have impact and I fight for the respect of my family. So obviously there's a lot of living up to expectation there. But there's also this deep wellspring of panic and realisation <laughs> that I am unsure in my place in the world. I want to feel like I'm doing something for me, but the obligation is still strong. There's like almost like a weird house of cards. Like yeah. having like the family, the impact, the duty, all of them together make sense in like a certain way, but like I'm interested to see how that character changes once one or two of those have gone. Oh yeah. That could uh, really spiral out of control. I kind of hope it does. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so, so my doubt is that completing the mission and killing the remnant will leave me without any purpose or direction. There aren't many remnants that are messing up at any one time. So it's not like Oaken can just go from job to job and have this constant momentum. 
Okay, if this is kind of like your prime moment and you're really excited about it and have, you know, been looking forward to proving yourself like this forever, but also wish you could extend it eternally so you never have to follow through. I have got some good news for you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) This is a doubt I can work with. I'm trying to imagine, like, what Oaken's life is like outside of, like, training for this or doing this. Lots lots of training and being paraded around functions. I mean, I guess it's a bit like being an Olympic athlete, isn't it? I always feel really sorry for them when they get interviewed and they're clearly desperately trying to think about anything to talk about other than training. <laughs> yeah, like, like they've put all their eggs in the one basket of killing remnants and a remnant gets killed every 50 years. <laughs> I think the worst thing is, like, it's not them that's put the eggs in the basket. It's no. their family. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, hopefully uh, Flint has got your back. So Flint's oaths are, I fight to protect my comrades. They fight for other humans. I fight to protect the remnants from themselves. I think that as well as caring about other people, they, like, deeply care about remnants. They're not in this because they hate them. I think there are definitely jackals that actually want to create a world that is just just has humans in it, but yeah. but Flint isn't that. Um, their last oath is I fight to keep the world civil. So so they're a bit of a hypocrite. Yeah, they're a bit lawful good, aren't they? They are. They oh, are very the lawful good. They think they're doing stuff for for the greater good, but and then their doubt is um, actually one about the remnant they they killed before. So is did Orphaclays need killing? Um, I, I think they've got some doubts about killing that remnant. I, I think maybe, obviously, the yield pointed them that way, but I think there were they probably saw signs that maybe the remnant could have been dealt with in a better way. So we've got our cast, but we didn't talk about where each of our combatants draws their power from because I think it might be different for each of us. So I just thought, like, quickly, do you have ideas of where that might be? I guess Relic draws power from the unknowable wealth of power that all remnants kind of draw from, the question mark ethereal place they have come from. So I don't want to go too far into defining that. That's fair. And uh, the envoys draw their energy from order. Yes, that's actually one of their their strengths, right? That's their big deal, yeah. And I guess a little bit from Relic itself? Yeah, yeah, Relic sort of anti-entropy Wi-Fi, I think, is... Um, is is an extremely important source of power for us, yes. I'm curious what the power source is for the jackals. I guess it's like a little bit of their training and past kills, but do you have any like thoughts on this spec? Yeah, I guess some power comes, Varrican at least, comes from the uh, fear of disappointing. <laughs> That's a powerful force indeed. Yeah, fear is an extremely powerful motivator. And I guess for them, like, spirit might also be a thing that they can tap into. Yeah, I guess if Flint is born hollow, that's not a thing for them? No. I'm trying to think, like, what it would be for, for Flint. And and I guess, like, it is equal parts their, their training as a jackal, which I imagine has taken up most of their life. And I think it is those other kills. Like, I think especially um, the power that they got from Orphoclays is a big thing that they can draw on. So next step is to create our battlefield, where everything is and how it's laid out. So we're going to go around the table, and on our turn, we're going to mark down one of the following. A thriving settlement, a site of natural beauty, a hostile army, a potential hazard, or a fortification or a safe place. And we're going to start 
I think, with with Fring and start with uh, Relict. And I think before you describe describe your feature, it might be useful to give a, a little bit of an overview of the territory. Yeah, sure. So in my mind, I have Eolith as kind of like the world's wildest natural history museum. I love it. I think there's a lot going on in Eolith. It is busy and there's a lot of beauty in it, but it's just that everything there is kind of... It looks like it's been dead for a long time, but somehow the region is still kind of thriving. So you do get, I think we talked a bit earlier about, uh, there is wildlife there, but it's just very intermittent. There are plants there, but I think a lot of them are kind of in the desert rose or like tumbleweed kind of variety, where it's plants that will be dead for years and years and years until there's a bit of rain, and then they open up and they do their thing, and then they dry out and curl up again. I think other than the fact that at night, Eolith is probably pretty unbearable. At night, it's all just really kind of hot, dry, salt wind. The region itself is pretty tolerable. It's almost quite nice, except that you can't eat much of it. So in terms of look, like in my head, I've kind of got a place that's like lots of sort of whites and greys. Yeah, I think it's lots of kind of browns and whites, maybe. Yeah. Like, a, a lot of it is this kind of fossilized wood color, these like browns shot through with greens and blues and whites and pinks, or a lot of the rock formations in the place are kind of like if you've seen polished ammonites, it's it's in that color kind of. Okay. I imagine it all looks like it's been put through a sepia filter, perhaps. Nice. You said that you imagined humans still live here? Yeah, I think there are probably like, I don't think there are any massive cities in Eolith. I don't think it's that kind of region, but I definitely think there are villages and towns of people who've decided they they quite like the slow, if unpredictable, pace of Eolith. So, so what's the first feature you'd like to add to this map? I think the first feature I am going to add is um, along the top of the map. Is the edges of salt lakes. This one isn't lake so much as a salt crust under which there is slightly boggy seawater. Um, and I think this is where Relict used to live. And so I think it comes back here quite a lot to kind of recharge and reflect on its life as much as it's capable of doing that. Nice. Who would like to take the next turn? Should we change it up a bit? Should we do one of the jackals? Okay. So you talked about this region having a forest of petrified wood, right? Yes. So is this a site of natural beauty? Um, what Oakham would say was that it'd be wonderful cover. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I imagine, you know, there's something for the villagers to kind of shield themselves in as well. So just to go over quickly um, what's on the map. Um, so in... The northwest corner is like the salt lake. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like in the east in the middle is the forest of trees, and it's kind of like a wedge driving into the map. Um, so shall we go over to to the envoys? Uh, yeah, so what this is, um, is a hostile army, because the first adjacent territory to have time stolen from it uh, was a fairly aggressive merchant republic whose queen immediately and rashly mobilized her entire army to go and kill the relict so in a way the same mission the jackals are on now but she didn't think this through and just sent 
a huge army of foot soldiers into Relic's territory. And they are still moving, but at about the speed of a glacier. And they are furious, um, but very, very limited in their ability to do much about it. Um, so they do keep moving towards Relict, but uh, it's kind of like if you could imagine a tortoise trying to chase a car. <laughs> <laughs> that is but, uh, super. That's really nice. There's about 40,000 of them. So imagine at some point they're going to become an issue, but... Yeah, maybe. It <laughs> could happen. So that's them. So I think the thing that I might um, add to the map, sort of like in the middle, in the south, is I think one of the ways into Eolith, which I think is is kind of flanked by these large mountains. Most of them are rock, but their surfaces are probably covered with like fragments and fossils and things like that, and they're probably... They probably, like, split quite nicely. The most remarkable thing about them is they have, like, these great shards of amber running through them. I mean, if it's particularly sunny, like, the light will reflect and and kind of bounce off. And I think it's uh, a site of natural beauty, but it's also sort of a fortification, because I think it is a place that... It's a place you could protect or stop something getting in or out. Okay, shall we go back around to you, friend? Would you like to add something else to the map? Yeah, I think let's let's go for a settlement. Um in the shadows of the mountain, quite close to them, even though the rest of the region is is quite hot and dry, is just a, a shelf of glacier still. The area around it is kind of where a settlement has grown over time because kind of the air through the mountains over the glacier cools that a little bit down and it, it's a bit more tolerable for people to live there. And it's kind of both in the shadow of the glacier and in it as well. What about calling it Akomi? That's the ancient Greek for still. Oh, I like that. Yeah, let's go for that. And that's still in the sense of like, um, like still here or um, still rocking. Persisting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that is the village of Akomi. And what are the people there like? They're pretty chill. They don't like to meddle with stuff. They just kind of exist. They're people that have decided to call this home. Yeah. I think it's some people who have moved here specifically to escape whatever ravages of time or entropy were bothering them outside of Earlith. And then some people who have been born here from those people. Is there like a hospital here? The people like travel here to kind of slow down... I don't think there's a hospital as such. I don't think. I guess in my mind, I mean more like a hospital. Like I think it's hospice. more like a hospice. Yeah, I think certainly there are people who come to Eolith to not change anymore. Yeah. Or to change much slower. Okay, so Beck, would you like to add something else? Um, I'm gonna. The middle of the map is looking quite empty. It is. So I'm gonna add a, another area of natural beauty and just have a little. Little salt flats. Can't beat it. I think this like salty plain in the middle. Like a crystal field. Oh. I imagine it'd look really impressive when the remnant is shuffling their way through it, kicking up clouds of salt kind of thing. So what's it like to travel through? Is it a place that's like particularly barren compared to the rest of it, or is there still life teeming there? Have you ever seen the uh stones that travel across the desert? No. Yes. I like the idea of little little roving packs of them. 
I'm going to need some more information. Okay. Um, let me Google this for us. Yes. I'd, I'd really laugh if, like, just you'd never heard of snails. <laughs> 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 yeah, those rocks that travel. So there are different names for them, but sailing stones, sliding rocks, walking rocks, rolling stones, and moving rocks are apparently the Wikipedia names for them. But they just sort of, like, move in deserts and leave, like, long tracks nice. along the floor. I like the idea that the locals or invading armies that travel through the desert see a lot of odd tracks, but never see what made them. So apparently the way that the rocks work in real life is ice sheets form under the rocks, and then like the wind mm. moves the rock. I do like the idea that here the rocks are just a little bit sentient. Yeah. I'm sort of imagining them like weird hermit crab rocks. Yes! Like something just like comes out and like pulls like them. Like tiny relics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, are we ready to go to Nate? Okay, so this was once a river, um, and it's like um like sort of a Grand Canyon business where a fast water flow has eroded a very, very deep channel uh very, very quickly. However, it's not water flowing through it anymore. There's actually argon flowing through it the noble gas. So argon is known for being completely unreactive. Uh, No living things can survive in it. Uh, Nothing rusts in argon. Um, Nothing really reacts with it. So it just really deadens whatever's there. And what relict envoys do, any creatures that stray into this region and expire are dragged to the Argon River, and yeeted down into the ravine where they stop decaying. Uh, so this ravine is just full of dead creatures from sort of enormous gigafauna, uh, huge sort of sauropods and things, uh, right down to just drifts of insects, all just lying there completely silent uh, under this thick, deadening layer of, of slowly flowing Argon. And when it reaches the bottom of the river valley, it blows out across the uh, the salt lake where Relict makes its home. We talked a little bit before we started recording, actually, I think, about like the idea that some of Relict's envoys are tasked to kind of like go out to other regions and find the last of a thing and then bring it mm. back to Elith so that the last one can be preserved. So I love the idea that like this river is just full of like priceless remains of now extinct species that you've just yeeted down a big <laughs> hole. Oh yeah, that's a really horrible angle on it and I'm really here for it. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, it's a giant sort of taxonomical treasure trove of irreplaceable dead animals. It gives me a really good idea for my next feature, I think. Oh, go on. I think I might add a second settlement. Mm-hmm. On the other side of this ravine, so like the glacier is on one side, um, a comey, and I think on the other side of the ravine, and kind of going out over it, is like a smaller settlement of... Is it the world's bleakest barbecue restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's filled with people that are like less settled here, they're kind of... Like treasure hunter is the wrong word, but it's those kinds of people. I think it's like a mix of like... People here to like make their fortunes by collecting like specimens and selling them. Um, people hoping to find like living animals. People like scientists, I imagine, come here a lot. 
Is this like a gold rush town, but full of like frenzied museum curators and taxidermists? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And I think like part of the town is like perched on the edge of the cliff, and then like some of it comes out over like these giant pulley systems that go out over the edge, and they kind of like. And they're just fishing down for corpses. Yeah, That's like, incredible. I think they've got like giant like nets and scoop up what's below. Imagine being that person, like a frustrated child at one of those like hook grabby arcade machines, desperately trying to fish out the last known specimen of the kind of fly you're really interested in. Uh-huh. <laughs> like- I imagine that there is some like kind of like claim system to it, because there's probably like this big industrial like scooping up, but there's probably like People paying specialists to go like down to the river and like scoop out a particular thing, mm. and that can probably get quite competitive. You heard of the Bone Wars? So, like the dudes in North America at the end of the nineteenth century, who once dinosaur bones were a thing and museums in Europe wanted them, there was just absolute cutthroat, irresponsible. Well, yeah, a gold rush for dinosaur bones, and people were like dynamiting each other's bones and stuff just out of spite. <laughs> it was horrendous. I think the town is called Rush. Rush. Yeah, I'm re- oh, I love this feature. This yes. is Relic's least favourite area of yeah, the territory. I was just thinking, like, I imagine, like, the last part of this is, like, the town isn't a settled town. Like, all of the buildings are on wheels, so they can kind of escape the envoys. <laughs> like, the envoys are coming. Quick, wheel the town just down the cliff. the town away. It's like this roving town. Can our next campaign be about this town? This is incredible. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Okay, shall we go back round to you, Fryn? Okay, I am doing an area of natural beauty. There's like a, a little crumbly rock formation. It's nothing super exciting. I think it's just like sandstone and limestone that's got a lot of little pocks and holes and divots in it. Um, but those pocks and holes and divots are used by little grubs that kind of go dormant in Eolith for sort of years at a time and are basically functionally dead until the conditions are just right for them to kind of cocoon and then hatch. Um, And the last sort of maybe 10 years of Eolith have been quite mild. So this year, all of those grubs have emerged. And so just behind the petrified forest, there's just an enormous swirling cloud of white moths. Nice. Oh, moth month. It's moth month. And uh, people like to go and look at them because they fly really, really slowly under kind of the effects of relict. I like them. How big are they? Like as big as a house cat? Kind of like face-sized, I think. Love it. That's really nice. Are they dangerous or are they... No, they've got no mouths, so they can't ruin anything. This is kind of the showy pinnacle of their scrounging careers. And... Uh, On the ground all around them are kind of like the wind and salt preserved husks of the previous moth months. I'm kind of imagining bits of them a little bit like like the paper you'd get in old books. Yeah. Um, Beck, do you have anything else to add? Um, I had the idea that maybe since you were talking about the remnant being a kind of hermit crab, Almost, that there's mm. a discarded shell in the world. That is massive as well. Gigantic, obviously, yeah. Maybe it's forming one of the forks in that river, flowing past either side. Yeah, that makes sense, the fork in the river as well. It's lovely. Is it a sign of natural beauty, a fortification? 
maybe? Yeah, or a safe place. Yeah. I imagine the river kind of cuts under it almost, and villagers or creatures can walk right in through the spiral. It seems like the kind of place envoys would hang out. Yeah. That's probably like where they they sort of have their... Entmoots. Yeah, yeah. It's got great acoustics. Ah, oh, I really like the idea that, like, plant specimens all go in the shell. <laughs> so it's just like a big, massive kind of greenhouse. Oh, oh I love yeah. it. Nice. That's really nice. Um, so, Nate, do you have anything, a last thing to add? Yeah, let's, um, it's got to have, um, a peat bog. Can't beat the peat. In the northeast, um, sort of transitioning out of the petrified forest, uh, there is a peat bog. Again, like all of the land in Relic's territory, it's not watery damp, it's petrochemical damp, uh, because everything's compressed down and carbonized. Uh, so you've got sort of bubbling pits of tar and crude oil. Uh, and it's right next to Moth Zone as well. So I imagine there's quite a lot of rafts of ghostly pale moths floating uh, in the black tar. Okay. Um, I think the last thing I'd like to add, it's sort of somewhere between the forest and the ravine. I think there are like some almost like towers of stuff that's been sort of sorted and stacked, a little bit like cairns. I think they're massive. They're like cairns, but like as if like maybe the remnant or maybe like an envoy or something similar has kind of like created these huge towers. Most of them are still standing, but they're all sort of like very precariously balanced. Like accidentally moving a piece of this would just send the entire structure falling to the floor. So I think they're like a site of danger. What are they made of? So in my mind, it's like shelves from extinct species. Just big stacks of shells, I love or it. Or just kind of like piled up and kind mm. of sorted. So that's our map. Yeah, it's looking good. good. Yeah. That's really solid. I'm excited to go through this battlefield and hopefully not destroy too much of it, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's a lovely china shop in which to be bulls. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to the next episode when we get to kind of smash it up a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, friend. How dare you? <laughs>